Making Sense of Life podcast number 49. According to J.K. Rowling, life is difficult and complicated and beyond anyone's total control. The humility to know that will enable you to survive its vicissitudes. The Making Sense of Life podcast will not only empower you to navigate through a fast-changing world, but also to grow in body, mind and spirit. Inward change precedes outer transformation. As the ancient Greek author Plutarch once said, what we achieve inwardly will change outer reality. This podcast is sponsored by Logos Medical Legal. Sunil also works privately with senior leaders. Go to drsunil.com forward slash corporate to find out more. Hello and welcome to the Making Sense of Life podcast with me, Sunil Raheja as we continue to explore what it means to make sense of life in an increasingly challenging and complex world. Today's podcast is an interview with Professor John White. John, it's great to have you here again. It's good to be here. Thanks, Sonal. So for those of you who, who don't recall, we did an interview with John uh, back in podcast number 17. And uh, Just to let you know who John is first, he's um, a professor of neonatal paediatrics at University College of London and a senior research fellow at the Faraday Institute in Cambridge. He's very interested in the whole area of medical ethics. Uh, he's married to Celia and they have three grown-up children. Back in Podcast 17, we, we explored what, what it means to make sense of the end of life, particularly on the areas of end-of-life care and euthanasia and, what, and so-called mercy killing. Uh, and John wrote a book about that called Right to Die. We called that podcast, and that was number 17, the last taboo subject, because death is ultimately the last taboo subject. And... It's such a subject we, we find so difficult to talk about and can be so awkward to bring up in conversation. But yet, I think, as you said, John, in, 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 in that last podcast, um, death is it, it's, it's 100%. It's, I think you said it's a, um, a sexually transmitted condition. Tell us about that. Yes. Well, it's, this life is a uh, sexually transmitted condition with 100% mortality. So it's coming to all of us. And yet it's a subject that we find so difficult to talk about. Well, we're going to build on that because John's written this book called Dying Well. So, John, I want to ask you and, and, and to lead us with, why do you write this book? Well, I'm just aware that for so many people, death is a topic we don't want to talk about. It's a topic of fear and it seems all about doom and gloom. But I'm convinced that actually dying well isn't all negative. It isn't all loss. And there are some amazing positive things that can happen. You know, I've, I've seen a number of people who've died in in in, in, a, in a positive way, in a, in a way which has been, uh, has led to all kinds of unexpected positive outcomes. And so that's the way I want to die. You know, a lot of people, when you ask them how they want to die, they just say, oh, well, wouldn't it be great if, if you could just go out like a light? No warning, you know, just die in your sleep. Um, no premonition, no awareness. What a wonderful way to die. That is a very common thought. It, and many people, I'm sure it's gone through their minds. And yet, I think you've, you've talked about this fact that um, if you'd asked people, what, a few hundred years ago, that same question, how would you like to die? They would say that's the worst way to die. Yeah, well, that's the really interesting thing. If you go back, you know, two, three hundred 300 years or more, people would say that sudden unexpected death was the worst possible way to die. 
to be catapulted into eternity with no possibility to prepare yourself, no possibility to say goodbye to your loved ones, no possibility to uh, ask forgiveness for your sins, uh, and so on. You know, that was seen as a terrible way to die. And there's an old prayer in the Church of England which specifically prays against sudden death. So it's interesting to reflect why has what used to be seen as something that was really terrible now changed into what's seen as maybe the ideal way to die. And so I suppose it's it's the sense that we tend to think of it from a very sort of me kind of viewpoint, and yet people who are left dealing with the consequences, it can be very heart-wrenching. And I know from your own personal experience with the loss of your father. Can you share that with us as well? Because um, that shows what the consequences of that is. Yes, my father died about 10 years ago, and um, it was completely unexpected. I was actually at a conference. Um, I hadn't spoken to him for a bit, uh, and then the news came through uh, that he'd been found dead at home. And um, it it was a terrible shock, and... um, you know, there was that feeling of unreality and confusion and also just a sense of loss, a loss for him, but also a sense that, you know, I just wish that I had been able to have a last conversation with him, that I'd be able to tell him how much I loved him, uh, that, I'd be able to, that he'd be able to talk to me and, and maybe, you know, if, if your father says that, you know, there's something I want you to remember, you know, for the rest of your life, you know, I'd take that very seriously. I'd never forget what my father said to me before he died, but I never had that opportunity, and um, and and so I, I realised that sudden death, you know, often leads all kinds of uncertainties and wounds and pain, and I just don't believe it's the best way to die. That's not the way I want to die. I want to have the opportunity of preparing myself and of talking to my loved ones and my family and my friends, and using those last days and weeks, however long I've got, uh, as something really positive. Mm. I can certainly understand what you're saying there, John. Um, for those of you who uh, get the blog regularly or who, who have listened to previous podcasts will know, back on the 17th of March 2014, I lost a good friend of mine, Abhishek Banerjee. Um, he was only 32. I'd seen him on, on the Saturday in India. Um, I'd um, spoken to him on the Monday morning. He'd, 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 he'd by surprise, got a gift for one of my daughters. And... Um, I got her to talk to him to say thank you. She put the phone down, and I thought mm, that's not right. So I rang him back and said thank you, for, you know, for, for the week I'd spent with you and the time and all that we've been able to to share and do. And then that evening, one of the most sort of you know heart wrenching evenings I I can recall was uh, his his wife suddenly rang me and with a very bizarre conversation about if somebody's heart stops beating for three hours, can they still be alive? And and it transpired that he died and. It, it rocked so many people's worlds, um, the tragedy of that, uh, that he'd not been able to prepare and he'd not been able to say his goodbye. And obviously it was a great tragedy. On a positive note, uh, well, sort of semi-positive note in terms of thinking about what it means to die well, uh, in Podcast 42, there's an issue with John Geeter, uh, Dr. John Geeter, and about how he's preparing for that. He's got a diagnosis of pancreatic cancer, Um and by God's grace, he's doing reasonably well in health. And we do talk about what does it mean to live a meaningful life and what does it mean from a practical point of view to to live knowing that your days are limited. And yet having said that, John, all of our days are limited because none of us knows what's 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 around the corner or, or what could happen 
today or tomorrow even. No, that's absolutely right. And one of the things which yeah, I've realized as I did the research for this book is that in many ways dying well, in order to die well, we have to live well. What happens when we're dying is in many ways just the continuation of the way we've lived. And so if we're investing in our relationships, if we're investing in the things that really matter in our lives, then there's a much greater chance that when it comes to the end of our lives, we're going to actually have resources, have relationships which which can sustain us through maybe a really challenging and, and, and difficult time, but also a time that can become a strange kind of adventure. Yes, I think that's that's the important thing to grasp, because obviously people don't like to talk about death. It can seem very, very negative and morbid. And yet, knowing that my life is limited, that um, I'm I'm only here for a certain period of time, can uh, bring a focus and a... Uh, purpose that otherwise we wouldn't have. No, that's absolutely right. So in the book, I tell the story of a lady I've called Mary, who had been, according to her daughter, a very difficult and angry lady, and and somebody who everybody had found uh, quite difficult to, to to cope with. Her her daughter had found faith in Christ, and she'd experienced forgiveness for herself. But her mother had always been extremely sort of difficult and bitter and angry. And then she was diagnosed with cancer, with a brain tumour, in fact, and um, it became apparent that this was a very aggressive and rapidly developing tumour. And her daughter went with Mary, the older woman, to uh, to the outpatient department where, in the cancer department in the local hospital. And it was while she was sitting in the outpatient department in the waiting room that her mother turned to her and suddenly said, I've just got three questions. Number one, how can I forgive? Number two, how can I be forgiven? And number three, what happens when I die? And her daughter was really quite sort of taken aback because her mother had never talked like this. And, you know, here, and she said, you know, in, in this busy outpatient waiting room with people talking and bleeps going off and all the rest, she tried to to talk to her mother. And it turned out that her mother had been abused as a child and had carried this terrible sense of anger within her, really from her childhood experiences. And that was why her first question was, how can I forgive? Mm-hmm. Uh, but then it was she was also aware of her own um, need for forgiveness. And what her daughter said is that, amazingly, her mother was, the way she put it, it was she was remade. Uh, she only lived another three weeks, but she it's, it's like she became a different woman. And um, the, the relationship with her daughter was healed. And um, she became much more um, positive and, and outgoing to the people who were caring for her and to her family and relatives who came to to see her. So I, I was just very struck by that story, how it, it it wasn't until the crisis of knowing that she was facing death that suddenly allowed um, this transformation to take place. That she, um, it was possible for her to be, uh, to be re- to find forgiveness and to be changed as a person. So I, I thought that that story just gives hope. You know, it, 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 yes, it's true. It doesn't happen to everybody, but it is possible in the experiences we face death that, and perhaps with some difficult relationships we have, that it, it is possible to find healing and a new way of relating. 
and as, as we're saying, in giving a, a real focus and purpose to what our lives are about. In the book, there, and there's, you cover so many different areas, but I think what we're going to focus on particularly is the positive opportunities that dying well may bring. Um, this is particularly from chapter three, and you give nine uh, specific um as it were, specific. Well, you hear you say uh, nine specific opportunities that that that, that dying well can can bring. Um, let, let, let's talk about that. And I think if we have time, either in this podcast or the next one, we'll we'll look at the, the temptations to go the other way that there are. But let's look on. Let's look focus on on, on the positive for now. Yeah, so it was one of the th- things that struck me as I talked to different people who'd watched people die who were facing death themselves, how many different positive um, aspects came out. And of course, it's different for everybody. There isn't some kind of formula. Uh, everybody uh, has as on their own voyage of discovery. Everybody, uh, it's, it's their own adventure. Uh, but w- one thing was, was growth, this sort of internal growth, that people... Um, so that although the body may be declining, you know, in a terminal illness, um, what the body can do physically is getting less. People might be feeling weak, they may be in pain, they may have other restrictions. But sort of paradoxically, it's like spiritually, the dying person is very much alive. There's the Inside, there is something... Um, there may be something profound going happening and therefore opportunities for people to grow, for people to change, but also to affect others. Um, and I think related to that is, and again, it seems paradoxical, but you know, some people as they approach death, they re-experience gratitude, mm. a sort of thankfulness, sometimes just for little things, the thankfulness for for um, the visit of a friend, thankfulness for, even for medication, mm. thankfulness for those who are caring, thankfulness for a little plant that's growing or seeing the sunrise or the sunset, the cycle of nature. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's strange again that it's not until we face the prospect of death that sometimes the little things in life become incredibly precious. Yeah. And so the first thing you were saying there is that then dying well gives the opportunity for this internal growth so take away the focus on the outside the outside the outer decaying body and to realize that there's much more to the unseen than, than to the seen and then this sort of change um i was gonna say character but change in in your in in your prior change in your temperament in terms of looking for the smallest things and, and being grateful and thankful for, for what you have and, and what is still available yeah, I think that's right. And I've got, it's not everybody's different and there isn't any kind of program. But for some people, and I can understand this, it's it's only when um, the prospect of coming to the end of life on this earth that, that allows people to focus on what's precious and significant to them. Um, I think another thing is the idea of healing broken relationships. Um, some people talk about completing relationships, which is an interesting idea, you know, that... The idea that, you know, maybe there's all kinds of unfinished business. You know, there are are things in some of our closest relationships, things we've never said, things we've never dealt with, things we've never um, asked for forgiveness or uh, addressed difficult topics. Or we keep putting off for another day, another day, another day. Another opportunity and all the rest. And, And knowing that life is coming to an end sort of gives you this opportunity to 
actually deal with some of that unfinished business and to say things. One of the interesting things is that somebody who's dying has a kind of authority which you don't normally have. You know, they can actually say things. They can say, I really feel I need to talk about this or I'd really like to talk to this person or, you know, could we get together or... And and you've got some kind of authority. Yeah. I'd certainly say that with the interview with with John Geeter um, on podcast forty two. That whole issue about he has a he's got a terminal condition, and as it were, he's he wants to reconnect with with friends and people from his past, as well as as it were, share the things that he feels people need to hear and they're they're, they're important. That's right, and and um, I I think that. This is one of the strange gifts about dying, you know, that uh, it's possible for the dying person, for instance, to be involved in, in helping other people to become reconciled and asking people to um, to change their, their way of behaviour and so on. So, so I think that, that idea of, of healing of, um, damaged relationships and finding completion is something that, that's very precious. And, um, but also I think sometimes as people face dying, dying they they there's something they want to get off their chest they there's there's something they want to ask forgiveness for and this gives a a place a way to do it um one of the things therefore is is this role of the spiritual care of dying people you know that's something that palliative care um specialists have emphasized that caring for dying people is not just about physical issues um but there's a whole question of how we can care for people spiritually uh, and what what the process of dying is bringing up what kind of spiritual issues come come up as as we mm. as we uh, approach death and maybe this possibility we can be much more honest with ourselves yes and, and so whether we have a, a christian faith or some other faith or no faith at all it brings everything to a head really to think well wh- what do i really think is lies ahead of me and and what does the future hold Yes, so um, people who work in this field, they talk about spiritual pain, well, but they sometimes also say that sometimes it's existential pain. It's, it's about what is the meaning of my existence? What is the purpose of my life? And in particular, how, how do I see um, my own worth, my own value, my own life? It's, a, it's, a, it's an opportunity to reflect at a deeper level. One of the issues is that there's so many things about our lives which are unfinished. There's so many things which we would wish mm. we could have done and we never did. And I came across this beautiful uh, short story by Tolkien called Leaf by Niggle. Yeah, please tell us about that because I think that's quite a fascinating insight. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a strange story. I recommend you, to, if you can find it, to read it. Um, but basically it's the story of a guy who was a painter and who had a vision of painting this most wonderful tree. He had it in his mind, he could see it all, and this tree in this one, surrounded in a forest. And he started work on it, but he was constantly being interrupted. And he was doing errands for other people, and they asked him to do things. And because he was kind-hearted, he constantly was interrupted in his work. And he had really only managed to do one leaf. He had this, The rest of the tree was hardly sketched out, but he had one leaf that he'd really completed and he was very proud of this leaf but he was starting on trying to do the rest of the um the, the work the painting and then 
uh, he's interrupted this time by um, a strange visitor who's called the inspector and who says it's time to go on your journey. And clearly this is a, a parable about death. And this is this is the angel of death who's arrived to tell... And, and uh, the angel of death says it's a bad business leaving the painting like this, but we'll just have to do the best we can. And then... Niggle goes on this long journey with the inspector and the, the story goes on at length. But eventually, um, Niggle goes, finds, discovers a, a forest. And as he's sort of exploring the forest, he suddenly comes across this tree. And it's his tree. Only not the tree as it was started. It was the tree as he had imagined. It was as he had imagined it. And there was the forest around it. And... Um, and so Niggle spends his time just glorying in this tree and, and extending the forest and making it more wonderful and so on. Um, meanwhile, back in back on Earth, people have pretty much forgotten about Niggle, but there's there's they they um in the museum they they take his single leaf, his painting of a leaf, and it says underneath Leaf by Niggle. But I, I thought this was a great parable because it's it's something about the fact that you know, certainly as a, and, and from a Christian point of view, as we look towards the future, we can see that actually by God's grace, some, some of these unfinished plans and projects can be transformed and redeemed and, and that God can bring out something profound maybe in the future um, of the, all the unfinished chaos and um, plans of our own life. Yeah. Yes, because when so much seems doesn't seem to make sense, and as, he, as in that lovely story by uh, about Niggle, it's appeared as if it was all a complete waste. He'd only managed to produce one leaf, and yet when he went into eternity, the whole forest came to life. Um, one of the things you talk about in the book actually is the fact that death is seen as sleep in the New Testament, particularly. Um, yeah, tell us about that because it, it's a, it's a very helpful analogy. Yeah, I was very struck by that. As I was sort of doing the research for, for my book, one of the very interesting things that the, in the New Testament um, part of the Bible, whenever it talks about Christian believers dying, it says actually, it nearly always calls them, talks, says that they fall asleep. So interestingly, it's very clear that Jesus died. He full, He experienced the full awfulness of death in his own self. He died. But he died so that we don't need to die. We can fall asleep as Christian believers. And as I thought about that analogy of what, wh why they were using sleep, it struck me there were two things that were, that were in at least, that come from it. And the first is that from a medical point of view, sleep is completely different from unconsciousness or coma. Because in unconsciousness, the... In a coma, you don't know whether the person is going to re regain consciousness. They could die uh, and never regain consciousness. And you don't know whether the person is still there or whether the person in some way has gone. Maybe the brain damage is so extreme that that person has gone completely. Whereas in natural sleep, the essence of sleep is that it's reversible, it's temporary. And therefore, as soon as you touch a sleeping person... They awaken, and the person is is there. The person is not gone when someone is sleeping, although they're temporarily out of touch. The moment you wake them, the person is there again, and that's of course is the analogy that um, 
what the Christian faith, the Christian hope is that the person who has died or fallen asleep is still there. They're not lost. They're temporarily um, un unobtainable. They, but actually they will awake and they will be the same person. And so there is, if you like, a continuation of this life with a life to come. We, we discussed that in another podcast with Chris Wright, which he called Literal End of the World and what happens at the end of the world and that, that there is this continuity, the Bible teaches of this continuity between this life and, and the life to come. So Paul says that's why you, you shouldn't grieve about those who've fallen asleep, as though they've been lost, because they've only fallen asleep and therefore you'll, you'll find them again. So while there is definitely... The, the pain of death and and the loss of loved ones we don't we we are not those who grieve without hope is what the bible says and so we maintain that hope that's absolutely right and i, I think that's why that analogy is 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 very powerful but there's something else that really struck me about that and that is that in god's grace we have the chance to practice what it's like to die every single day of our lives mm. Many people have terrified. Tell us about this more, because so every night when I go to bed, I have the opportunity to, to practice dying. Yeah, you know, so many people are terrified about what the actual experience of dying might be like, you know. Would it be like being sucked into some horrific hole of blackness and fear and, and, and agony? And I think the whole point of that analogy is that it's about falling asleep, and we practice it every night of our lives and and therefore what you've got to imagine is you know falling asleep on the first night of the holidays or um with all that is is we have to anticipate but there's a very ancient christian tradition of using de uh, falling asleep as a way every night as a way of preparing ourselves for the final sleep and um there's a in in the service um, of the church. There was the the nunc dimittis, which is taken from the words of Simeon, who says, "Lord, now let your servant depart in peace." And just as a background, so this was Simeon, who was in I think in, in his nineties, who'd been waiting for the Savior to come, and Mary and Joseph brought the baby Jesus to him. Yeah, so he was in the temple. He he was clearly he was somebody who spent all his time in the temple. This elderly, godly man, and he'd had this kind of a vision, an awareness that God had promised him that he would see the coming, um, his coming Messiah. And then Mary and and Joseph bring the baby Jesus, who is eight days old, um, to be um, for a special ceremony to be. Uh, dedicated to God and Simeon recognizes and takes up this baby and, and then he says now Lord let me um, depart in peace because my eyes have seen your salvation and that becomes a sort of way that's why every night we can commit ourselves it's safe to fall asleep because our eyes have seen the coming salvation and um and that applies to the big sleep as well, that we're, we, it's safe for us to commit ourselves to Christ because, just like Simeon, we've seen the hope for the future. That's very helpful, um, John. Um, if we come back then to the opportunities that dying well brings, we've said it internal spiritual growth, being thankful, 
uh, healing, building, and completing relationships. I think we talked a little bit about finding forgiveness as well. You talked about the story of, of Mary there. Um, what else is there? I think one of the things is just letting go. Um, sometimes we just have to recognize as we are coming to the end of our lives that there are some things that we're never going to do. And rather than desperately cling on and saying, well, perhaps I'm going to manage to do it. You have these books, and they? Uh, 101 things to do before you die kind of thing, <laughs> or your bucket list people talk about. Yeah, I, I must say I'm very ambivalent about this bucket list stuff. I, I think it's it puts a whole kind of pressure on... on uh, it, it, I don't find it a very helpful thing. I think that actually learning to let go, to let go of things which we recognize are not going to complete it but to do it in a in a in a positive way if i can say that i suppose because we live in in a very postmodern secular culture you have to get everything done in this life and so all your investments are in the here and now and in this world and there's nothing about that i always think of uh, of phrases as in christ our bad things can turn out for good our good things can never be lost and the best is yet to come and when I grasp the Christian gospel, when I grasp what Jesus has done for me, then I realize that I don't need to have everything now. Yes, you know, that, that there are still that there are things I may never get to do or achieve. Well, going back to your story about Leaf by Nickel again. But there is someone who is, as it were, writing a story of my life. But ultimately, it has to be about him and not about me. That's absolutely right. And, um, and I think death or, or the approaching death is a way of recognizing that. And of and of and of letting go. I mean, one analogy which is uh, is a striking one is is that you know our hands are so often like uh, grasping desperately, closed on something, hanging on for something, and yet actually what we've got to learn to do is to open our hands and let go. And it's often as we approach death that we find the the faith and the courage instead of grasping desperately to let go and and allow god himself um to to uh to do his will but it's also you know it's letting go to others so you know it may be letting go to my children saying you know i've i've done my bit now it's now it's for you to take on these responsibilities but just to clarify then john i mean Somebody people might be listening saying, but surely we need to fight to to live as long as we can and to um, make the most of this life and not just give into resignation. I mean, you're not saying get depressed and just say, just give up, are you? No. Uh, well, I think there's a, again, there's a difference between despair. Um, I mean, despair is one of the temptations, one of the testing and challenging things, which, which we can fall into as we place death. As we approach death, no, but that's not a, that's a negative thing. That's a positive thing, but here we're talking about a positive thing, which is about the virtue of letting go, of 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 positively saying, "I can no longer carry this burden. I'm going to now pass this on to somebody else." I mean, it might be at a work thing. It might be a sort of responsibility I have. It may be within a family. It may be with, you know, maybe I've been responsible for caring for someone else. So I was. Uh, very struck by my friend Alan Toogood at um, All Souls Church, and he was had been totally dedicated to caring for his wife, who had quite severe disabilities, was in a wheelchair, his wife Sheila, 
And he'd made a kind of commitment that he was going to care for his wife to the end of her days until she died. Um, and then he it turned out that he had cancer and his, he was deteriorating and yet he was desperate to fulfill his commitment to Sheila. I want to care for Sheila. And for him it was quite significant. It was really as he was approaching death and he realised that um, he, he wasn't going to be able to, to carry on caring for Sheila. And he sort of, he almost like he formally handed that over to his daughters, Karen and Alison, who, who, who had been trying to say, Dad, you know, we will look after Sheila. And um, it, was, it was a very significant point for him that it, he was handing over yeah. responsibility for, to care for Sheila to his daughters. So it's actually, as it were, acknowledging that God has the final authority rather than me and that he's the one who's ultimately in control. There are many, obviously, other things you, in the book you talk about the positive aspects of um, of dying well. And I'd, I'd encourage you to, to get the book to, to look at that and to go where that goes into more detail. But, John, I want to finish, as it were, because... With, with the ninth and last one, which is preparing to meet with, with God, with, with our Lord and Saviour. Um, because ultimately, all of these things you've said don't make sense unless that is sorted out. And there's something about Jesus' death, if we bring it to you, you gave the example of, of Alan Toogood who, 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 and his story as well, about how he had to say, well, not my will be done, but your will be done, which is what Jesus said as well. And it's through the, his death, as it were, all the riches of God's love and salvation are available to us. Can you bring that um, and, and expand on that for us, please? Yes, I, I think that ultimately, um, as we approach the end of our lives, there's an opportunity to think about this, this spiritual aspect. Um, how can I prepare myself to meet um, the Lord of the universe? Um, as as a Christian believer, I I I need to be. There is this amazing hope that we we can see Jesus face to face. I mean, Paul says, you know, at, at the moment it's as though we we are only looking in a distorted mirror. We just see something um, which is which is a very limited vision of the future. But he says, but then after death we will see face to face we will we will see clearly um the reality of god himself uh in the face of jesus christ and that is the christian hope and i i think that we don't talk enough about that i think again it's I suppose we're, we're too interested in, in what jesus can do for me here and now in this life and getting as it were all my investments sorted out in this life Exactly. I think I think that we live in a very materialistic world. We live in a world which emphasizes the here and now, the physical, the touchable, the experienceable. And it's very easy for all of us, whether we're believers or not, to become completely preoccupied with the here and now. And what dying well gives us an opportunity to do is to start to look beyond to what comes after death. And and to anticipate it, you know, to reflect on it. You know, I, I think the theory ought to be is the closer we get to death, the more that physical things of this worth start to pale away and the more we 
um, anticipate and reflect and look forward to to meeting God face to face with joy and excitement and, and anticipation in terms of because the best is yet to come no matter how good this life has been or even how bad this life has been or how much we've struggled with yes that's right and I think in in the historical tradition there's always been this view that as people approach death that they they sometimes given vision and perspective which the rest of us don't have that's why there was often a tradition of recording the last words because as somebody was actually approaching the gates of death, they were often able to see through, and the things they said uh, were often very significant. And there are these remarkable stories, as people do approach death, sometimes of people suddenly opening their eyes, as though they're seeing things, mm. uh, which which are not earthly things, but seeing things of, of great joy and anticipation and and looking forward. So, So the way we die... You know, go back to what I said before. The way we die reflects the way we live. It's it's here and now that we should be thinking about how do I want to die? What really matters to me? And how can I start the process now of preparing to die well? Thank you very much, John. I mean, this is such a huge and rich subject. And I really encourage you to get the book Dying Well by John Wyatt. John, as we come to a close, um, there be, we've got people who listen all over the world. Some may be facing uh, literally facing the end of their lives in, in the near future. Some may be having loved ones who are uh, seriously unwell. Um, any other final thoughts you, you, you'd, you'd like to give them from your book? One of my favourite verses in the Bible says that the path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn that grows into the everlasting day. And that's so different from a secular understanding of of life, you know, which is the idea that life comes from nowhere and it reaches a peak and then it's there's a long slow decline when things are getting worse and your body's packing up and it gets worse and worse and eventually you die and that's it but in this christian understanding life starts from nowhere but it then it's the first gleam of dawn you know and i think the the picture is you know sometimes you know what it's like you're traveling through the night it's black it's dark and you think it's going to go on the night just goes on and on and on and then out there on the horizon you see that first pink blush and you know that the new day is coming and bit by bit second by second inexorably the new day is coming and and i think that's the picture the picture is that's how our lives should be mm-hmm. yes sometimes it's pretty dark sometimes it seems like the night's going to go on forever but out there on the horizon if we've got eyes to see we can see the first blush of dawn and the promise is it's going to grow into the everlasting day. Yeah, that's very powerful, John, especially when you think about when it's in the middle of the night, it's just pitch black and you think it's just going to be like this. And then when it's noonday sun and it, it couldn't be more different. Um, yeah, I think that's a beautiful analogy. Thank you again so much for a very rich conversation uh, with a lot to reflect on. And I hope we'll be able to carry this on in a future podcast. Um, again, the book is Dying Well by John Wyatt. And if you go to, to the show notes at drsinnell.com, uh, you'll see not just this podcast, but a link to the book, as well as uh, other podcasts as well that are very related to the subject. Podcast number 17 that talks about the last taboo subject, uh, as well as uh, podcast number 42, our interview with uh, John Gita, uh, as well as uh, another podcast that's got the What Happens at the End of Life and a conversation with Chris Wright on there. 
So thank you very much and um, thank you for, for joining us in this interview. If you've enjoyed today's conversation, you can get all the show notes for this episode from drsunil.com. And could you do us a favour? Head over to iTunes to rate the programme. This is by far the best way to get this content into the hands of those who need it most. Also, do you think about who you could pass details of the podcast on to? Don't forget to check out the blog for more great content. That's drsunil.com, helping you to make sense of life in a challenging and complex world. Until next time, goodbye for now.